Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here, we will have case-based conversations and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge focusing on equine health. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of the EquiConnect Equine Podcast, brought to you by McKee Pownall Equine Services. My name is Dr. Kyle Goldie, and I'm here today with one of the many techs we have at the practice, Karen Fell. Hello, everyone. We thought we'd begin by just introducing ourselves. How long have you been at the practice for? I've been here at McKee Pownall for about seven and a half years. And have you always had the same role? Uh, my role's kind of slowly developed. I actually started in the marketing department. And yeah, I slowly graduated to being in the office and on the road and now purely a vet assistant. Tell us about how you've been involved with horses. Uh, so I grew up on a farm. My parents have a small private farm that they've been there for longer than I've been around. And uh, I've always had horses there with them. And then I did pony club and I did some showing myself and on the A circuit and now mainly do mounted games. Awesome. Do you have a horse now? I don't have a horse now. Okay. I'm horseless. Okay. In the market, though. Always. <laughs> Very good. Well, again, uh, my name is uh, Dr. Kyle Goldie. I've been at McKee Pownall's um, New Market location since February of 2018, so I've been here for, for almost a full year. Um, I graduated from the Ontario Veterinary College in... 2011, almost made it uh, eight years uh, of practice. I originally started practicing in the Peterborough area. First started my undergrad in philosophy, so I didn't take the most direct route to vet medicine. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know, just working with horses attracted me to uh, to the profession. And I always, one of my goals when I was younger was I wanted to be a doctor of something. I wasn't really sure what, and uh, veterinarian seemed to be the right fit. Huh? And you used to ride, correct? Yes, yes. I, I used to ride. I grew up doing hunter, not not at any high level or anything like that. My family had a, uh, a thoroughbred breeding farm, and so we bred, uh, bred thoroughbreds for racing at uh, Woodbine primarily. I, I'd say my, my riding was most formal when I was in university. I rode on the, uh, the, the Guelph team, oh, uh, yeah. the, the University of Guelph team, so we'd travel around to different uh, different schools. It was a lot of fun. One of the mm -hmm. problems I find is when you haven't been riding for a while, all your muscles are really out of shape, all of your riding-specific muscles, and uh, I feel like I'm doing a bad job. So I take it pretty seriously. So if I'm not doing a good job, I'm not having fun. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> so that's that's kind of how I am with uh, with riding. But I've always really enjoyed horses as patients, actually, probably more so mm -hmm. than riding. Vet medicine works out pretty well. Absolutely. That, Sounds like it. We're hoping to talk to both our clients as well as the people who aren't necessarily clients of McKee Pownall Equine Services. I just thought we could give some people a background in that as well. So do you want to tell us about McKee Pownall? Absolutely. So McKee Pownall, we currently have four locations. We have our location in Newmarket, which is the one that Kyle and myself are based out of. We have one in Caledon as well as one in Campbellville. 
And more recently, we have our location in Florida throughout the winter. We have 12 veterinarians, and we only work on equine. Uh, we do a variety of disciplines. Well, well we, we see the odd uh, donkey. <laughs> uh, a couple pigs, yes. Pigs, uh, yeah, yeah, on an, on an as-needed basis, but yeah, pr- primarily equine, yeah, for sure. That's yeah. right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, maybe you could talk about the disciplines that we work on. We, we see horses from many different disciplines. Some veterinarians... Seem to have more of a specialization in dealing with those disciplines than than others. For example, Dr. Melissa McKee, who is uh, one of the eponymous uh, veterinarians of the practice, she sees a, a very large uh, racehorse population, yes. primarily racing standard reds, but uh, is also a fantastic sport horse veterinarian. And I, as well as a few of the other veterinarians, see some racehorses. I would say the bulk of my uh, racing clientele are uh, racing standard breads and racing quarter horses. We, I do see quite a few of them. But then we see a lot of uh, show horses, so hunter-jumper, dressage, western performance, and a, a good number of, of pleasure horses, geriatric horses. We really do see horses of all all shapes and sizes and, and, and jobs. I guess we'll start talking about the podcast itself now. We have been talking about doing the podcast for at least probably close to two months now. And our ideas about what we really want from it have, have changed a little bit as we've done some brainstorming. And I think we had a bit of a, a brainwave when we realized one of the things that veterinarians often benefit from is case Based learning. Oftentimes when veterinarians are talking about other cases, we can put this new knowledge in a context because we can relate it to a, a specific case. The same sort of thing goes in veterinary school. Usually we have a, a, an introduction type type period to a, to a topic, and then we'll go through four or five cases on that topic. And it's a really, really great way to learn. And one thing I, I noticed was that a lot of the time when we're trying to talk to clients through info night, most of the time it's it's in a lecture based format. It's a PowerPoint presentation. Here's a here's a few bullet points and talk a little bit about it. But I think people could really benefit from from learning about individual cases, how we work them up, how we might use outside resources to to supplement what we have within Mickey Panel Equine Services. Our goal is to try to bring case-based learning to clients and so they can learn about topics in this in this fashion what are some of your goals of the podcast karen i would agree like trying to emphasize to clients the importance of all that goes into our work our cases as well as to provide information that hopefully clients perhaps had questions that at appointments they didn't feel comfortable answering and we can try to really clarify and explain it in a very comprehensible way other things we want to use the, the podcast for would be to talk about relevant news, whether it's in the horse industry, whether it's within our practice, relevant research findings, try to pass some of those on to people. We do our best as veterinarians and support staff to stay on the forefront of vet medicine, try to have that sort of trickle-down effect so that we can take what we've learned and, and pass that on to uh, to our clients and, and listeners. I guess we should call everybody listeners. That's, a, that's right. Yeah, that's a, seems right. Way. Yeah, probably <laughs> way to, to refer to everybody. It's a way to broaden education. It's a way to speak to more people, to educate more people. We don't always get the opportunity to talk to owners. 
either, right? That's a right. lot of our interaction is is just one-on-one with the trainer and then the trainer talks to the owner and, and stuff. That's just the, uh, the communication route that has been elected in a given case. But I'm sure it, it would be nice for, for owners to, uh, in those sort of owner trainer type situations to, uh, get educated on some of these topics that, uh, they may miss out on a little bit. Absolutely. One thing that's really, really important to everyone involved with the podcast is we really, really want your feedback on it. Please feel free to um, get back to us anyway. You can email the office uh, info at mpequine.com, call, whatever you want. Um, we, we have all of the social medias. So we really appreciate your feedback regarding the podcast, whether it's you don't like the volume, you don't like the hosts, you don't <laughs> like the, the topic, you don't like the pace, you, whatever. But positive feedback would be good too. We'd really love trying to answer questions. So so if there's a, a question that you can think of that would be relevant to the the podcast, that would be, I'm, I'm, I'm sure if you think it would be relevant, uh, other listeners would find it relevant too. Okay, on the, on the topic of case-based learning, we thought we'd start with uh, with an interesting case that we we saw in the last year. One of our goals is we absolutely don't want any identifiers of a particular case to be known. So the names and date will be changed because we do respect uh, client-patient confidentiality. And also all the cases that we'll, we'll be discussing have been uh, discussed with their owners just, just for full disclosure. And in particular, this case I, uh, I'm going to uh, talk about. I did speak with the owner about, and she said, "Oh yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's, uh, it's great that people can learn from it and, and Very everything educational. like that. Absolutely, yeah. I'm going to kind of make up parts because, again, I don't want them to be uh, overly identifiable. So we'll call this horse Sage. Sage is a performance horse. She is middle aged in Western performance. Over the last year or so, the the history we got." And I should say, we like to start all of our appointments with a good comprehensive history. We want, we want to hear the whole story and when these, we'll call it a complaint, uh, initially started. So in this particular case, the owner had thought she'd noticed some abnormalities over the past year. You know, maybe it just seemed like a little bit of stiffness coming out of the stall or they ended up putting the horse on Prevacox. For those who aren't familiar with Prevacox, it's it's used quite commonly now, particularly in older performance horses, but also in geriatric horses. It's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug that is generally regarded as a little safer for the, the gut and the kidneys and, for example, giving butte every day. If you have questions about Prevacox, you can talk to your veterinarian about it. But it is commonly used, and in many disciplines, horses can show on it That's if they're following the rules. In in this particular case, the horse had sage, had been on Prevacox for the show season, and that seemed to keep her sound enough to, to compete. At the end of the show season, they found that she had become quite sore. She just... The Prevacox wasn't uh, wasn't doing it anymore. They decided to contact McKee Penalty Point Services and uh, have a lameness exam performed. Generally, for our lameness exams, we had the 
history, the girls in the office try to get most of the information when booking the appointment. Then our general lameness exams are the veterinarian will look at the horse static, so the horse isn't moving. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. able to flex and touch all of the parts of the horse while doing certain tests to see if we can have any sort of reaction, such as using hoof testers. Then we'll move into an arena or a safe location that we're able to lunge the horse uh, and the veterinarian is able to watch them go. Then proceed in doing some flexion tests, which is what we did with Sage. And that brings up another good point. We're, we're fortunate enough in the location that we're in at uh, Mickey Pownell in Newmarket that we have an indoor riding arena. So we're able, in this particular situation, the, the patient came from an area that we don't service on a regular basis. It's just too, too far. But we were able to see them as a ship-in owner and the, the horse shipped in. And we did our, our lameness exam um, right right at the clinic. So it's nice to have those facilities because especially in the winter, and we really need consistent footing to be able to do a good lameness exam. It doesn't do anybody any good to be trying to lunge a horse on hard frozen ground or icy ground or in the mud, you know. So Definitely. When, we, when we started lunging this horse, we saw that she was quite lame on her left front. Correct. Yeah. Right. Do you know the the AEP lameness grading scale? Has no. anybody taught you that before? No. 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 Okay. I don't remember that one. It's it's kind of interesting. So um, for those for those people out there that aren't aware, the American Association of Equine Practitioners has a has a grading scale, and so we like to grade lameness based on that scale because it gives us a numerical means of communicating. Our, our findings with our colleagues, for example. Yeah, keeping a general number exactly. across the board. Exactly. So it starts out of zero is obviously no lameness. A one is a lameness that's very, very subtle. And often it's only in a specific situation. So it's only on, let's say it's it's very subtle and only when the horse turns to the right really quickly, you see a little, okay, okay. Maybe we call that a one of the five lameness. So it doesn't mean that it's minor. It doesn't mean that it insignificant because if you've called us about it, it it's warrants us taking a look at, it. but it's, it's very subtle and specific. Okay. A grade two is usually a lameness that's more noticeable, but again, not in every situation. For example, I, I would say a lot of grade two lamenesses are ones that we see them lame when we're trotting them or when we're lunging them. Lunging, yeah. Only in one direction. Let's say we've got this this horse that uh, is lunging and it's got a head nod when the left front touches the ground when it's circling to the left. But when we change direction, that left front head nod goes away. So because we're only seeing it again in a specific situation, that's a grade two. A grade three would be that it's less subtle and also consistent in in basically all scenarios at the trot. Let's say you're lunging it, you can see it to the left, you can see it to the right, and chances are you can probably see it in a straight line as well. That's a three out of five. Uh, Four out of five would be a lameness that you can see even at the walk. This will be a horse that you take out of the stall and you're walking it down the alley and every step it takes, let's say it's a left front, every step it takes, it's got a head nod on that left front. Okay. Okay? And a non-weight-bearing animal. So let's say a horse that it won't even bear any weight on its left front, that would be a grade five AEP lameness. Okay. So 
We've talked about uh, the AEP lameness grading scale and how we use that to come up with a quantitative measure of, uh, of soundness and one that can be sort of translated from veterinarian to veterinarian. And every- So in this particular case, our patient was a grade three out of five lameness. So, so basically, if we lunged that horse in both directions, uh, we, we saw a left front head nod. It was basically equal in both directions, maybe a little bit less to the right. Okay. Um, so, Karen, do you remember what we did next? Uh, so next, we brought the horse in to do some nerve blocking to figure out exactly where the pain for this horse creating the lameness was coming from. For anyone who's unfamiliar with the idea of blocking, basically, I, I try to tell people it's a lot like when you go to the dentist and have a filling done. The, the dentist always does a nerve block so that you don't feel that area. So basically what we're trying to do is use that logic to isolate where the lameness is coming from. What we can do is in a very strategic pattern, we can block specific nerves and knowing what nerve we blocked in what region, we can predict what area of the body that nerve is actually affecting. So for example, the very first nerve block that we generally do is called the Palmer digital nerve block. And for those who have seen this before, it's the one that's done uh, just at the very end of the pastern, just kind of above the heel bulbs. What we do is we can feel where that nerve is just using our, our, our fingers. And we put a small amount of local anesthetic, lidocaine, carbocaine over top of that nerve. And we do it on both sides because there's, there's, uh, they're, they're equal running down either side of the leg put it over top of each nerve, then we wait five minutes. If that block works properly, we know that we have blocked basically the heel area of the horse's foot and about the back two thirds of the sole. Let's say, for example, the horse doesn't go sound after doing that Palmer digital nerve block, then what do we do? Well, then I think we'd probably move on up. Yeah, exactly. So then we move up to um, our next block. So the next one we usually do is called the abaxial sesamoid block. That one's just right behind the fetlock and it blocks everything from the fetlock down and, and so on and so forth. So essentially, if at one point the horse becomes sound, yeah, we're able to determine that it was between the last block and the current block, the area of interest. Exactly, great. exactly. So... The whole point of it is, number one, to prove our suspicions. But the other thing is, it's really not an efficient use of time, energy, money, resources in general, let's say, to just say, okay, we're lame left front. So let's just start taking x-rays and ultrasound and the entire leg. Because chances are, we might find multiple little tiny issues and we don't have any idea of which ones are significant. Right, which ones are creating this. Exactly. So what we want to do is do the blocking, isolate where the lameness is coming from, and then consider what further diagnostics we want to do from there, keeping in mind that we have a more focused area to work on. Right. Okay. So in this particular situation, we did a left front Palmer digital nerve block. Okay. So again, we just put the, uh, the local anesthetic above the heel bulbs. And we waited five minutes. And then what, what we usually do is we pinch the skin on that area to make sure that they can't feel it anymore. Okay. Because if they can still feel it, then our, our block didn't work. We have to try it again. But most of the time, and, and again, from the dentist perspective, I'm sure you've seen that before where they're injecting yeah. and they do a little test and you're like, ah, that still hurts. So they come back and do some more. So once we're satisfied that they can't feel that heel area anymore, we'll take them out and lunge them and see. 
in this particular situation, we had complete resolution of the lameness. What does that mean, Karen? So essentially, we've done the lowest block, your first block, and mm-hmm. there she was, Sage was now sound. So we can determine that it was somewhere beneath that block, so the area of interest. Exactly. And basically in the heel area. Do you remember what we, another rule we usually have about Palmer Digital blocks? No. Usually after we do a Palmer Digital block, if the horse goes sound, we quickly start lunging them the, to the opposite direction. Okay. So let's say, for example, we have a horse that is has a left front lameness. We do a Palmer Digital block on the left front and it goes sound. We want to trot it to the right and make sure that it's not now unsound on the right because it's very, very common for us to have bilateral. So both front feet affected. And what happens is we do our block on what happens to be the worst foot. And then the foot that we didn't do the block on is the sore foot. Yes, because so we've taken we're, out, we've eliminated the worst pain. The worst pain. And, and so now that one is uh, gets upgraded. We always take a look and see after we've blocked one foot, did the uh, lameness shift feet? Right. Okay. And, because that would help us to diagnose a bilateral forelimb lameness. Okay? Right. And did that happen in this case? It did not. In this particular case, we did our left front Palmer digital block and she went sound. So now we've got, got our... our lameness isolated to the heel area of the left front foot, we decided to do some further diagnostics. We did radiographs, which is a $5 word for x-rays. We found uh, some changes in the navicular bone. And I'm sure people are very familiar with that phrase. It's uh, commonly mentioned. It's hard to see a perfect navicular bone. But in this particular situation, we saw a navicular bone that was a brighter white than your standard bone. So if you if you look at your standard skyline views of the navicular bone, usually you see a harder, and, and by harder I mean brighter white outside rim of the bone with a spongier, i.e. grayer, center on the radiograph. So, and in this particular situation, it was a more diffuse white color with some holes in it. Okay. okay? So right off the bat, that tells us, okay, that that bone may not be so healthy. Right, okay? something's going on. Something's going on. Point. Yeah, exactly. The thing that we were concerned about in this case was that the horse was so lame. Prior to the block. Prior to, prior to doing the block. We have, you know, like a little bit of discomfort. Maybe we'd accept that, okay, we've got some hardening of that bone, some sclerosis of that bone, and uh, we could treat that accordingly. But our suspicion was high that there was potentially something more sinister going on in this particular case because the degree of lameness didn't seem to fit the changes that we were seeing on the x-rays. Right. Okay. We decided we better take a look for a soft tissue lesion in this area. And, And for those of you who aren't familiar, we don't really see soft tissue changes on x-rays very, very often. Sometimes we'll see mineralization of soft tissues as they enter, like as they attach to bones and that type of thing. But generally, x-rays are for looking at bones. Bones. Right? In this particular situation, we decided we wanted to look for a soft tissue lesion. And we have a couple of options to look for soft tissue lesions. Number one would be ultrasound. Right. And we do use that quite often in certain situations. But in this particular scenario, ultrasound isn't really the 
greatest technology. It's just, it's very difficult to access that area. All the tissues are very deep. And, and in order to get the, the image that we want, it, it's just, it's very, very difficult. I, I'm sure there's, there's some people out there that, that have great confidence in it, but um, it's a challenging area to, to ultrasound well and to get a satisfying diagnosis. So Right, because essentially you're looking to try to penetrate with the ultrasound into the hoof. Exactly. So there are ways, theoretically, of ultrasounding through the frog of the foot, but it takes a lot of preparation. And again, it takes a, a very specialized um, skill set to be able to do that well. Fortunately, at McKee Pound Equine Services, amongst our, our practices, we have access to uh, standing MRI. So that's what we decided to do in this case. The standing MRI is excellent. Um, we can basically do um, imaging, soft tissue imaging, and, and bone to some extent as well of the lower limbs. And, and that's, that's a great ad advantage because so much lameness comes from Yes. Those areas, right? There are other types of MRIs that can that can image other areas, right? But all of them would require general anesthesia. Yeah. So okay. the horse being laid down. Exactly. Exactly. And and there's always you know, you know it always adds a, a greater layer of a layer of complexity to the case when you have to do that. In this situation, we we decided standing MRI is perfect. And so within a few days, we were able to schedule this uh, SAGE for, yep. a, uh, for a standing MRI. After we do our MRIs, we have them read by a board-certified radiologist, okay? And that's a, a veterinarian who went to school for another four years and wow. wrote more tests just looking at... Uh, different imaging modalities. So they, they're experts in CT scanning, MRI, ultrasonography, x-ray, nuclear medicine, nuclear scintigraphy. They're end of all species. So they're, they're very, very well trained. But we have access to a board, board certified uh, radiologist who interpreted our exam and gave us um, several findings. Our initial hunch was correct. There was a, uh, a tear in the deep digital flexor tendon. You guys can check your anatomy, but I'm sure you're familiar with the, the deep digital flexor tendon as it runs kind of down from the knee, down the back of the leg, but uh, not realizing that it actually goes all the way down the back of the pastern uh, behind the navicular bone and attaches on the bottom of the coffin bone. Yeah. So it's a, it's long and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of room for it to get injured. In this particular situation, uh, we did find that there was a, an injury to the deep digital flexor tendon. It also did confirm some bony changes. As part of our company policy, we always image the um, the other limb as well. Right, okay. for comparison. Yeah, we've got the machine on. Might as well uh, take a look at both. Uh, yes, it gives us a good comparison. But again, getting back to the fact that it's not uncommon to have bilateral lesions, the conditions affecting both legs, it, it, it serves us well to to take a look at the other foot too. And sure enough, this uh, sage had very similar lesions in the right front. So we had bony changes and digital flexor tendon injury on both feet. From there, we had to come up with a treatment plan. About four or five days after the MRI, uh, sage came back to the new market practice right. to receive treatment. So we did a couple of different things. First thing we did was give uh, sage an injection of a medication called Osphos. What does Osphos do? 
Well, that's a very good question, Karen. Ospos is kind of an interesting medication. I always tell people that, so it's it's in a class of drugs called bisphosphonates. And there was another one in the past uh, that was used called Tildren. We still use that one as well, but um, I think we use Ospos more frequently now. Yes. And uh, basically, uh, bisphosphonates, to the best of my knowledge, discovered during research for treatment of osteoporosis in women. Again, to the best of my understanding, um, as women go through menopause, their amount of circulating estrogen starts to decrease. And that estrogen used to, at one point, have a negative feedback on bone metabolism in in their body. So essentially what, what the estrogen was doing was it was conveying a hormonal signal to maintain bone stability by affecting a, a type of cell called osteoclasts. Mm-hmm. And then as that amount of estrogen started to decrease, um, you know, post, in postmenopausal women, uh, what would happen is that negative feedback would decrease. All of a sudden, those osteoclasts become unregulated, okay? And they start to absorb more and more bone and release more and more calcium into the bloodstream. Long story short, Bisphosphonates like osphos and tildren affect osteoclasts. In cases of navicular changes, changes in the navicular bone, where we see this hard bone with these um, black circles in it, those black circles are are being caused by osteoclastic activity. So cells within that bone that are basically eating away that bone and releasing the calcium. So by giving osphos, it gives a negative feedback to those osteoclasts and helps to limit further destruction of that. You could almost consider it like a balance between there's osteoclast cells, which eat bone and osteoblast cells, which build new bone. So in a situation of bone inflammation, what can happen is the osteoclast activity, the bone eating activity outweighs the rebuilding activity. Okay. And so what the osphos does is shift that balance back towards bone building and bone stability. So that's kind of how that drug works. Uh, We gave that drug to help to stabilize the navicular bone and to decrease bone pain, bone inflammation, that type of thing. Where do you inject that? Excellent question. So that's actually given as an intramuscular injection. And it's often only given once. And it's got a long duration of of efficacy kind of thing. So it's not like something they get once a week or anything like that. Usually we give it once and then kind of assess our results in six months to a year kind of thing. The other treatment that we gave to Sage was we injected her navicular bursas. And the navicular bursa is basically a fluid-filled sac that the deep digital flexor tendon runs through. Okay, so when the uh, deep digital flexor tendon is injured, it's going to be releasing these inflammatory um, molecules into that fluid and uh, cause inflammation, pain, all that type of thing. What we're trying to do, or, and what we what we did is we, under um, X-ray guidance, we used a three and a half inch needle right through the back of the right between the heel bulbs mm-hmm. into the navicular bursa and injected a corticosteroid to decrease inflammation and uh, hyaluronic acid to improve the viscosity. Often when we have inflammation in, in uh, bursas, joints, that type of thing, the fluid becomes more watery. So it's not as, um, not as good of a lubricant as it was intended. So by decreasing the inflammation and replacing that uh, or in, and injecting some hyaluronic acid, mm-hmm. it helps to uh, improve that 
uh, lubricating property and, and just overall health of that fluid. That's what we did. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's basically all we can do in this particular case. And now that Sage is going to be on four months of rest and hand walking, and then we'll reassess at that point and, and um, hopefully be able to return to work. Wow. I wanted to discuss that case because it kind of shows how within a matter of, I think it took 10 days. Yes. Yeah. We were able to, Sage was shipped into the clinic. We did our initial lameness exam. We isolated the lameness to the heel area. We did radiographs. We found some suspicion in the navicular area, but nothing that quite explained the degree of lameness. So we went for an MRI. We were able to pinpoint the injury and come up with a treatment plan and rehab plan so that hopefully we can get Sage back to the show ring. Wow. Um, yeah, and we were able to do that all, all in 10 days, so pretty good. Um, we've done everything we can at this point, and it's a bit of a waiting game now to, to see how she recovers. But uh, yeah. we've all got our fingers crossed because she's a great, great horse. That's our first case. Yeah. And that kind of is a good example of the type of learning we want to do in this podcast so that I hope that people were able to see sort of the steps that we take and the different equipment we have at our disposal and to try to get the answers we need in these uh, in these cases. Absolutely. Well, I guess that's just about it for I think season so. one, episode one. I guess in conclusion. We just want to thank you guys for uh, being a part of our first podcast. We want to emphasize how we really want to hear back from you, whether it's positive feedback or things that we can do better. We definitely want to hear back from you. If any questions have come up during your listening of this podcast, we'd love for you to submit those as well. And we can try to answer those better um, in, in, a, in a future episode. Maybe we can have a section of the podcast devoted to follow up. Yeah. Um, and I think that would actually be a, a, an interesting idea. So, you Definitely. know, in four months time, we can check in on Sage and she, see how things are going there, for example. That'd um, be great. Uh, along with uh, some of our other cases. So if you do want to get a hold of us, I think the best way would be to call any of the branches and you can get our specific information or simply send an email to info at mpequine.com. And I guess finally, we have all the social medias, so you could you could contact us through any of those. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon.